Welcome everybody to the next episode of the Pioneer Podcast. Uh, we have an awesome guest today, the head coach of our men's lacrosse program, Bill Tierney. Coach Tierney, welcome. Thanks, Carlton. Great to be on with you. And, and Coach, give me a minute. I, I got to read a little bit of the highlights of your resume. I was going to try to memorize it, but it's too much. So I got to read <laughs> a little bit here. Uh, 36 years in coaching, seven national championships, a combined 27 regular season and conference tournament championships, over 400 wins as a coach. But coach, I got to tell you, I think the most impressive stat is 1986. You coached the Johns Hopkins soccer team for one year and you took them to the NCAA tournament. <laughs> well, they, they, uh, when, when Bob Scott, a great old AD at Hopkins hired me, I had to, uh, tell him a little white lie that I had some soccer background. Now, he didn't realize it meant in uh, second grade. Um, so um, the, the good news is uh, I've always set myself up for, uh, for, for great opportunity. And Hopkins hadn't had a winning year in soccer in 50 years. So um, our first year, we were a little, you know, a little under that. But then the last two years, we were 14 and three and did make the NCAA tournament, which was uh, just a bunch of great kids who bought into the fact that their coach didn't know anything, very similar to the rest of my career, and, uh, and just bought in and did a great job. So, Coach, uh, let's, let's go back to Long Island. You, you, you graduate from Cortland State University as, as a player, and you, you quickly move into coaching in high school. What made you decide to get into coaching? Well, I, I've, I've wanted to be a coach ever since I was uh, – you know, an eight-year-old in Little League Baseball. You know, it was, I always, I grew up in Levittown, New York, which was, uh, for the uninformed, a, a uh, GI town that was put up right after World War II. Uh, they built 17,000 homes in a matter of three years, and all of a sudden, 70,000 people congregated on this one area in the middle of Long Island. And so, um, so they built five high schools, I don't know, 12 elementary schools. And it was just the greatest place to grow up. I think we had like 40 kids with 18 uh, houses on our block. So we were always around sports. But for me, uh, so it was always, um, you know, youth baseball, youth uh, basketball, um, youth football. And, and it always resonated on me, the impact that the coaches had on me. Uh, you know, my, my dad was a beer truck driver and a fi volunteer fireman. And uh, um, thankfully, skipping ahead, my last year after college, I got to live with my parents for one year. And unfortunately, me, my dad passed away during that year. But I learned that year because I always wondered why he never came to my games. And I, and I found out that year that he did. He just thought he made me nervous. So he would always hide somewhere. So I always kind of looked at these coaches as my mentors, always had great coaches, were, was fortunate to be successful because I had older brothers and sisters and had to get beat up by them in sports. So I just became a sports nut and, uh, and realized early the impact that the coaches had on me and always wanted to coach and teach. So when you got that first coaching job, uh, Bill, were you ready? Was I ready? I'm still not sure I'm ready, and I'm 68 years old. Uh, you know, I, I think you start, my first coaching job out of college was eighth grade football at North Shore High School for $400, and it was, uh, and we were 0 and 8. Um, and so it kind of went on from there. I always tell the story about my last high school coaching job before I uh, left to go to RIT for college lacrosse was 
coaching the girls basketball team at my high school at Levittown Memorial. My last experience of being this so-called great coach was losing 72 to four in a high school, girls high school basketball game. So I'm always, uh, you know, whenever somebody tries to tell me uh, how, how good I am, I'm always, I always tell that story to remind them that uh, it's not about the coaches, it's about the kids. So before we move on to your, your college coaching career, looking back for you now with, with all the great experiences that you have had, what would you tell that young Bill Tierney who was just starting out coaching in high school? What would you tell him? You know, I, I guess I would just tell him to, uh, you know, uh, keep your eyes open and your ears open. And when you come to the fork in the road, take it, as Yogi Berra used to say. And that's kind of what I've done. And uh, until I got to Princeton and stayed for 22 years, I, I never stayed at a job for more than three. So I always kind of were looking for that next thing and blessed with, uh, blessed with um, a family and, and a wife that was willing to, uh, to make those moves. So, so you move on and, you, and you're the coach at RIT and then you move on and you're an assistant coach at Johns Hopkins and, and had some great teams there at Hopkins before you moved on to Princeton. And when you took over at Princeton, um, Princeton had not been to an NCAA tournament in 20 years. Uh, they had not won an Ivy League championship in 20 years. And you quickly began to make an impact at Princeton. What was your mindset moving into that role and taking that job at Princeton? Well, I, th I think it was, um, you know, when I, when I looked at the job, they had had a great history in lacrosse. It just happened to be, as you said, 20 years and 30 years and 40 years. They had actually won national championships in the, in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. So I knew there was some sort of ground, uh, groundwork done to make it successful. The school wanted to be successful in, in lacrosse. Um, I had just come off of two two out of three years at Johns Hopkins winning a national championship. And kind of, as I mentioned earlier, always took over these programs uh, um, that uh, kind of needed a boost or a lift or whatever. So with all those things combined, I, th I thought it was the perfect one. And the real motivator was that the Harvard job was open that year too, and they didn't even give me an interview. So uh, getting the opportunity at Princeton a month later uh, uh, and having a great AD, Bob Meislick, uh, hiring me and, and, and letting me kind of run, run the program the way I thought it should be run, um, you know, allowed us at a great place with great facilities and opportunities to, to do well pretty quickly. When you won your first championship at Princeton, do you remember the feeling? No, uh, it's <laughs> just, uh, it's funny. When you ask that question, I, I still quickly well up because uh, very much like the first one here at Denver, uh, it's it, it's a fulfillment of a promise you made, and you had no right to make that promise. And so, um, just seeing these young men uh, on the field and and just kind of looking at you, saying, "Wow, that was uh, that was something pretty special." And then in light of this week, one of those young men being the Evan Garfine doctor helping in New York City with the, with the coronavirus, it makes you feel really good that those lessons you tried to teach come to fruition on the field and off the field as well. So after that first championship, what changed for the program? How did that lead to more championships? Well, it, it, it kind of was interesting. It, um, the first championship... The, the, my first recruiting group were 
were, were seniors at the time, but we also had a sophomore group that was really our best group of uh, really good lacrosse players. So I think when we recruited that group, those were the back in the good days when you recruited seniors in high school. And, uh, and so kids could see what you were doing. Uh, the, the best goalie that I ever had, um, uh, you know, along with my son Trevor, uh, was a guy named Scott Batchgalupo, was a four-time All-American, three-time first team. And he bought into what we were doing. He was valedictorian of his high school class in Baltimore. A guy named Kevin Lowe was a great player on Long Island. His dad was a coach that I knew very well. So guys were buying into that. Plus, they could get a great education and, and be in the, kind of the epicenter of what was going on in lacrosse at that time, anyway. You go on to win uh, six national championships at Princeton. Uh, could you, in your wildest dreams, have imagined that? Or was that your goal? How, did, how does your career, looking back, your time at Princeton, how do you reflect on that? Well, I think, I, I'm not sure if it's, a, a, you know, I, I think my goal has always been to win the next one. And so um, never, never thinking about six or five or four, but, but one, which was the next one. And um, uh, so once we did that in 92 with really uh, uh, some guys that were overlooked in recruiting, I'd say, uh, to say it, uh, you know, mildly and, and some that, you know, were the bad news bears that overachieved. But, uh, and, and we were overlooked by a couple of the teams that we, that we played along that run. But I, I think once we did that, then we, then we had established the fact that we could do it. And then, um, you know, certainly 94 was that really great group that we had. And by then we were, we were kind of on a roll. Our 98 group won as sophomores, juniors, and seniors. So three straight. And then the, the other great one, of course, was 2001 when I won with my two sons on the field. So then you become the head coach at Denver and you're back in the mode of, of trying to build a program towards a national championship. How did you start the process at, at Denver when you got here? Well, it's funny because I, uh, I started the process the same way I started it at Princeton. I, our first meeting, I told them that we would win a national championship at the University of Denver. And you got the same doubting eyes uh, from you did that the, you got in 1987 that you got in, you know, in uh, 2009 and when we first got started. But, um, but I had belief in, in uh, the talent was there. There was more, certainly more talent here at Denver when I got here than there was at Princeton when I got there. Um, you know, as you know, your, your predecessor, Peg Bradley Doppis, uh, allowed me the opportunity to, to let my son Trevor be my associate head coach. Uh, and then having Matt Brown already here kind of made for uh, a really smooth um, transition from, uh, from um, just talking the talk to walking the walk. And, and you know, the facilities here, the support that, that we've had here, the fact that I didn't have to blink, even coming from Princeton, um, you know, the, the world's greatest undergraduate institution, right? When I came here, I think the most important question I asked Peg is, can I promise families that their son will get a great education here? Because I knew we could take care of the rest. If we got good kids, if we got it, you know, uh, you know, if we recruited well, we had the facility in place. And thank God for Laura Barton and, and her group for building that beautiful Peter Barton Stadium. Um, I knew those pieces were in place, but then having Trevor and Matt Brown 
uh, in, in, in the fold. I just felt like we could get it going. I just wasn't sure how quickly we could do it. And you certainly did it, winning the championship in, in 2015. Uh, how did it feel years removed from your last national championship? Did it feel the same or different? It, it, it felt the, the same as the first one at Princeton, more so than the other ones in the, in the interim. You know, uh, I've often been asked about which one feels better, <laughs> you know, and there's, there's a lot of analogies you can make to that. But, uh, but certainly the one with, with Trevor and Brendan on the field was, was a unique moment. Um, and, you know, I'd say that our Denver one was, was right there in line with the first Princeton one because you had so many doubters. You know, I, I've always kind of liked proving people wrong because I have some theories on, on coaching and recruiting about recruiting people as opposed to, not as opposed to, but along with um, recruiting players. And along with that goes uh, student athletes. And, one of the things I'm most proud of at Denver so far, which we make it into, is is that we each year we've had more and more uh, academic scholars here while ma maintaining a high level of uh, com competitiveness. Well, let's talk about that. So in your career, you, you've coached at some outstanding academic institutions, RIT, Princeton, Johns Hopkins, Denver. Uh, how have you used that? Uh, in your coaching style and, and, and how have those athletes made you better? You're, you're recruiting super smart people uh, to come play for you. I think getting comfortable with it at Princeton, um, you know, certainly at Johns Hopkins, we had great students. Um, and, then, and then moving into Princeton, it got even, it got even more, more so. What I've learned at Denver is we actually, because of our geograph geographics, um, we, we actually have about the same uh, percentage pool as we did at Princeton because of the academic um, admission standards. So I was very comfortable with what we did. And, uh, and Matt Brown, who's my associate head coach, who there would be no championship without. Um, I remember he always says that I told him when I, we first met uh, that you win with people and not with players. And, um, and having that experience at Princeton made me realize that um, people includes what they do in the classroom. Um, it's, it's much more difficult to take a kid who doesn't care about school, who doesn't do well in school, who, you know, you have to wake up all the time to take that kid. You're not going to change him. What you want to do is use the skills they already have. And I, I'm thankful for our parents over the years that they are motivated. They want to be good students, the best that they can be. They don't all have to be chancellor scholars, but the best that they can be. And, and we'll work hard at that because, um, you know, it's part of what we do. I think one of the great things about lacrosse is, uh, and I, I hope my, uh, the brethren in the three pro leagues don't take this the wrong way, but, uh, you know, our, our kids aren't looking for that million dollar contracts when they get out. Getting that degree, that education is, is the end goal. And uh, talking to Ethan Walker the other day, who's in this fifth, you know, this, this whole mess of the coronavirus thing, he said, Coach, I just, I want to make sure I graduate this June. And, and to me, that, that tells me that the, the story we've been telling, the, the rules we, we hold up uh, so our kids get on the field. If they're not doing well academically, they're just not going to play. And what I've learned over the years is uh, if a kid misses class, if a kid breaks the team rules, that even if it costs you a victory, in the long run, it pays off great dividends.
And over the years, uh, Bill, I can only imagine the number of unbelievable stories you have of your former players and the success they've gone on to have after lacrosse and after college. Uh, do you keep in touch with a lot of your former guys? We do, and, and uh, it's fun, and, and it, it really is interesting. And I think this goes back to the fact that I just mentioned that those years that you had where you had the, the great teams that kind of came out of nowhere or, or had a lot of great student athletes um, on them are the ones that, that still maintain that energy. They still maintain, some of them are, you know, when I was at, uh, you know, when I started at Princeton in 1988, I was, uh, I was 36 years old. So these guys were, and these guys were 18. So it's, it's not, these guys are, a lot of those guys have turned 50 now. And to see them succeed, uh, as I mentioned, Evan Garfine, you know, helping with the coronavirus in New York City. And Justin Tortolani, whose son, Jack, is coming to play with us next year at Denver. Justin was my first recruit at Princeton. It's now the a spinal surgeon in, in Baltimore. And, uh, Scott Batchgalupo, four-time All-American goalie, is, you know, was, was the first, the youngest and first partner at Merrill Lynch uh, when, you know, he was like 26 years old. So it is fun. And now what's great for me is it's happening all over again. It's happening from our Denver guys now, seeing them get out into the world, starting to get into management positions. And to be honest, it's not altru altruistic where we also go back to those Princeton guys and ask them to help get our Denver graduates jobs and things like mm -hmm. that. So um, I've been blessed. Uh, I've been blessed far too much, uh, far more than I deserve. But, uh, but I'd be a lunatic to not, to not use the benefit of all those young, great young people that I've coached. And Bill, one of the things that I've been most proud of in, in my short time here at Denver is, is we were able to announce this year that, that forever uh, the head coaching position at the University of Denver will be named for you. And that was the result of a lot of people, but is also the result of the effect you have had on a lot of people. Uh, what's your response to that honor? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's overwhelming really because, you know, I, I think the people who know me best, look, no matter what you do in life, you're going to have, you're going to have naysayers and you're going to have supporters and you're going to have likes and dislikes and all that stuff. I had a great friend, Fred Argadon, who was the Dean of Admissions at Princeton and Fred has since passed away, but, um, there was something happened at Princeton one year and he took the hit for one of his underlings. And, and I remember writing him a note and his response back to me was, Bill, you know, all you can do is, is love the ones who love you and, and ignore the ones who don't. And so to have a field in Baltimore with my name on it, and then this, this endowment uh, is, is, it's overwhelming because I, I think it's almost um, to a level of, like uh, embarrassment, but it, but it pulls you right back into being humble in that you do quickly realize that it's, it's, not, it's not anything I've done. There's a lot of people who could have done what I've done. It's being blessed with the people around you. In 2001, I was inducted into the Lacrosse Hall of Fame and the title of my speech was, you know, to, to re be reminded of all those who supported you on your way up. And, and so, um, you know, I, I think, 
those things could put you in a situation, whether it's the endowment or the field, and think that you're pretty good. But I, I think in a way uh, that my, again, going back to my dad, my dad was a beer truck driver, my mom was a nurse, so I had this yin and yang of, of tough and soothing all the time. But going back to him, he was just so simple and he would be proud yet, yet remind me that, uh, you know, you're not that hot. You know, somebody else must have helped you do this thing. Bill, we hear a lot how much everything has changed, how much the kids have changed, how much coaching has changed, how much leadership has changed and is changing. In your opinion, what has stayed the same in coaching and in leadership? What, what has stayed the same to me, and I've been saying this for a lot of years when people have been saying for almost my whole career, oh, kids have changed, you know. Uh, yeah, the music's changed, the technology's changed and all that, but I, you know, asking that question is, uh, or answering that question is really a, a blessing for me because I think it's one thing is that kids still thrive discipline. And, and that doesn't mean they thrive getting yelled at or getting screamed at or, or doing things that are beyond what they should do, but they need a schedule. They need a program. They need to have rules to go by so that uh, I, as I tell our guys at Denver, we, we have very strict um, very strict rules. We have very strict alcohol, drug rules. We have very strict academic rules, but it's a safety net for them. We, we can't be with them for 24 hours a day. We're only with them two hours a day. And so they're going to be surrounded by others. I often tell our guys that, that they're at a very high level. They've achieved academically. They're great people and they've achieved on the field. So for other people to be on that level, they don't want to work as hard as the guys did. So what their, their effort is, is to bring our guys down or bring people that are higher than them down. And the only way to do that is through negativity. So I think, I think having that discipline, being able to say, no, I can't do that because that's, I don't want to, lacrosse is so important to me. I don't want to break those rules. Uh, even if that's their reason for it, at least they get through. But I do believe that um, kids still want to be loved. They still want to be directed. Um, you know, as, as, as we all have said over the last probably 10 years, uh, the, the fact that the, that the parents have changed a little bit and, and have allowed other, others to parent their kids a lot um, and everybody gets a trophy, I think that's what's made it harder on the kids. And the more you give them simple directions, the more you give them simple rules, and the more you tell them you love them, uh, the better off you are. So our friend John Gordon, who we're working with, his company to build some leadership programs here at Denver, uh, he calls it love tough instead of tough love, right? It used to be tough love, uh, but now the toughness is still there and it needs to be there. We need that discipline and accountability, but you got to let the, let the kids know you love them at the same time. Absolutely. And they, and they deserve that because uh, when I recruit a young man now, I tell their parents that other than the, the war time, other than in my life, the, um, the Vietnams, the, the Koreas, the, you know, those kind of things, the, the now the Iraq and Afghanistan things, other than those times, um, this is the hardest generation right now to, to, um, in growing up, in, in uh, being young men now who are, um, who are asked to really be a lot more aware of, of, of who they are and their surroundings. They need guidance, they need leadership. Certainly John Gordon, all those things that he does, all the things that you do um, 
are, are things that allow us as coaches to do our thing, but to, but to be reminded so that we can remind our guys that uh, um, it's, it's a different time. Uh, but, but no matter what, no matter what, even, even my greatest accusers who don't like my act on the sideline, um, you know, I'm doing it for them and I love, and that's the, and I love them. And, uh, it's funny, somebody, when I got into, you know, uh, when they named the field a few years ago, they, they put a plaque up and, and, uh, they said, what's your quote going to be? And I said, uh, I just want all my players to know, you don't have to put how many championships I put on, I did, I achieved, but let my players know that I love them. And sometimes it's hard for young men to, to, to figure that out. It takes them a couple of years, but uh, I think they know deep down that, that we do. Bill, so many uh, people turn to you for advice and, and look at you as an example um, for how to build a coaching career. Uh, when you talk to young coaches or coaches trying to find their way, uh, what are the few things you tell them that are most important about leading and coaching? Well, the first thing I tell them is that um, the games are tough. I've coached against my, my nephews. I've coached against my best friends. I've coached against kids that I've grown up around. And, and to remind them that despite the greatness of any one young man, people that are most important in our profession are the other coaches. And so be really careful, be real mindful of taking, uh, taking a game and the heat that comes from the game or at our level, um, you know, you know the, the poaching of, that, of recruits and all that stuff. Um, make sure that you're, that you're treating each other wisely and well because we're gonna be around for 20, 30, 40, 50 years hopefully. And, uh, and, and those kids are going to be gone. And the coaches wouldn't go into coaching if they didn't care more than, than the players do. So, um, you know, I, I, I tell them a lot, don't, don't be afraid. As I said earlier, don't be afraid to take chances. Don't be afraid. Make sure you, you're with people around you that are willing to take that journey with you. Um, make sure that you um, – the, the one that's come up a lot now is uh, family first. It's got to be your family first. I, and I tell my assistants here, I've told them my assistants for 30-something years, if something comes up with your family, I don't care if it's game day, that has got to be first. I always, I always tell the story. I had a young man named John Hess who was in that 96, 97, 98 group. And in 1997, I showed up at practice one day and he said, uh, you know, he's a junior in college, right? I think I'm, I'm running this guy's life. And he goes what's the matter with you? I go, what are you talking about? Get back in line, get stretching. He goes, no, something's wrong. I'm not going to move until you tell me what's wrong. And not to elaborate too long on the story, I said to him, well, Trevor and Brendan are playing in the state championship today. He said, do you think that we need you at practice today? You go be with your boys. And, uh, you know, to me, that was... Uh, I guess John was 20 years old at the time. That it's amazing. Was the, the, the student teaching the teacher something, I'll always remember that. Bill, that's a great story. And it leads me into to a question about your family. Lacrosse continues to be uh, the game of lacrosse and coaching and, and, and leading young people in this game continues to be a huge part of your family. Uh, you've got to be proud of that. Ridiculously. And then, uh, like a lot of things in life, it, it's, it starts with 
the the, the matron, the mother, the wife uh, of it all. You know, it's uh, you, you know, if you don't have that support, you're not you're not moving every three years. You're not uh, going through the tough times. Uh, my first year at Princeton, we went two and thirteen. Our last game was against Dartmouth. And I get home, you know, it's a seven hour ride from Dartmouth to Princeton to get home. And um, I have this habit of, cup of having a cup of tea before I go to bed and I open up the cabinet and there's a, a note that says, uh, um, we'll be back next year better than ever. And, you know, I didn't write it, my kids didn't write it. And, and so from, from just having that kind of support, oh, by the way, we're moving to Rochester, New York on January 30th. Oh, by the way, we're moving to Baltimore with four kids in a, in a 77 Beetle. Oh, by the way, we're moving to Denver after 22 years of, of being here at Princeton. Um, you need that support. And then certainly with our family, we've been blessed with four great kids. Trevor, continue, you know, he coached with me here at Denver for all my first five years. And um, without him, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have won that championship just like Matt Brown. And uh, Trevor still runs our LXTC, our Denver Elite Club programs. He has his own goalie academy. Trevor's the only goalie in the history of the game of lacrosse to be a first-team All-American on a, in a senior year on his national championship team, to be All-Pro and win a, the Pro Championship in that same year, and to be all on the All-World team and win the World Championship that same year. And uh, so he's been a lacrosse guy through and through. And, uh, and then my son, Brendan, who was uh, always the maligned, you know, undersized, he'll never make it uh, guy. Uh, I'll never forget the time in 2020, Brendan's best friend, BJ Prager, blew his knee out. So Brendan started in the, for the rest of the season and then semifinal against Virginia, 35,000 fans. Uh, Brendan scores the winning goal and uh, kind of, validated it, um, his existence. He wasn't a first team All-American, but he did his job. And then my oldest daughter, Courtney, was always our, uh, she was a great lacrosse goalie, but after uh, she played, she was the captain of her boys' middle school lacrosse team as a goalie. But then when she got to girls' high school lacrosse and realized she didn't have anybody 6'2", 200 pounds in front of her, she continued with her basketball career. She, she played college basketball at uh, Franklin Marshall, but to this day is the goalie coach uh, at Ping the Pingree School. And then my youngest daughter, Brian, who I'm so proud of, is, uh, is the head coach at uh, the head women's division one coach at Kent, Kent State in Ohio, where her husband, Dylan, is now the assistant at Ohio State and was the head coach at Cleveland State, was an assistant here with us at, at, uh, at Denver for four years and did a great job recruiting. So, you know, Brian was my lacrosse player. And the one I worked most with uh, when she was younger and uh, became a great player at Colgate and just continued on with that, with that career. Well, it's clear, Coach, you followed your own advice with family first. Uh, what incredible uh, legacies uh, you've built there. And, and obviously a lot of that uh, you had a, a great deal of influence on. Uh, Bill, what excites you about the future? Uh, what are you working on? Uh, how do you feel about next year's team? What's got you excited? Well, it's, 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 thanks for that question, because oftentimes people will say to me now, I don't want to hear it said, but, but it, it, it always makes me think too, is, um, you know, when are you going to give this thing up, you know, and, and I have two answers for that. And, and, and the two answers uh, here at Denver have, have never waned. Number one is 
that first September day that our freshman class comes in. I am so excited about that. You know, Helen and I for 30 some odd years have hosted our freshman picnic. We get the families in, we get them to know. She does a great job. She takes pictures of the young men and their parents. And then we give them that back at their senior picnic. I kiddingly tell them the only two times in their career I like them is at the freshman picnic and the senior picnic. But, uh, you know, so, um, so we do that and then opening day, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, a lot of people don't believe this, but um, I hate game day. I've hated game day since, since I started coaching. I love coach uh, practice days, but that, that opening day and that first day of, of freshmen coming in, as long as I stay excited on those two days, you know, I want to continue to do this. But it's funny, each year, each year, I remember Ron Graham saying something to me a couple of years ago. He goes, well, each year your team graduates a guy and we think, okay, it's over now, you know. And then, you know, all of a sudden after Westberg comes Ethan Walker, <laughs> you know, and, and it just keeps going on. And, and I'm so blessed to be at a place like the University of Denver, knowing that we can attract young men that have the that are made of the right stuff believe in our culture and will be great on our field and will represent the university and their families and us as coaches in in the right way and that's each time you start to think it's okay it's the end of an era or it's older i get a freshman class like i did this year we were only together for six games but you start to go wow wait can't wait till these guys are juniors and seniors so um so that, it, it kind of keeps me going um I'm blessed, as you know, I, uh, I, I um, keep my faith and I keep it mostly because I know that this, this could have happened to anybody and I don't know why it happened to me. And so there's somebody looking down at me from above, that's for sure. Well, Bill, I know I'm excited uh, about uh, 2021 as we move into next season and uh, we continue the great legacy. Uh, that you have built here and continue to lead at the University of Denver. And Bill, I just want to say I'm grateful to you. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to work with you. I've learned so much from you, and you've helped me tremendously in two years. And please, let's do this again. We've got a lot more to talk about. Bill, thank you. I'd love to, Carl. And, and thank you. You know, this is, uh, this is all this stuff, in the, you know, when you, as they say, characters revealed under crisis, and, and your leadership under this crisis has been phenomenal. And we know we'll all get through this as, uh, as pioneers together. Well said, Coach. Thanks for your time. Thank you.